You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Dragos and ESET bring clarity and bad news to investigation of December 2016's Ukrainian power grid hack. Qatar and its neighbors try to sort out hack-induced diplomatic troubles. Double-switch social media malware hijacks dissidents' accounts. CertLock impedes removal of unwanted programs by security software. MacSpy and MacRansom appear as malware-as-a-service offerings. AMT vulnerability is exploited in the wild. And China arrests 22 for trading in stolen iOS user data. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Monday, June 19th, 2017. Bouncers have their place, right? That is, it's good to have some way of ejecting bad behaviors without calling down the full weight and majesty of the law, right? So too with adware. You'd like to keep it out or kick it out quickly, but the Android bouncers standing at the door of the Google Play Store seem to be having trouble lately, and that trouble seems to be passed on with interest to Android users. Google's struggle is with adware infestations in the Play Store. Over the past week, the UK-based security firm Sophos identified 47 adware-infected apps that together have been downloaded more than 6 million times. The ads Sophos are studying were particularly irritating because they continue to appear even after users take action that ought to have caused the apps to quit. The pop-ups are triggered from a third-party library, Day A. Another security company, Trend Micro, is tracking a different third-party ad library, Xavier, which holds about 800 apps. Google has booted a few more than 70 of them, but most continue to sit on the Play Store unmolested by the bouncer. Xavier escapes detection and ejection by going quiet when it detects sandboxing or emulation. So, dodgy apps, at best unwanted, at worst malicious, continue to trouble Google's Play Store. Ars Technica calls it an uphill battle, HelpNet Security calls it whack-a-mole, There's a lot on offer in the Play Store, and all things being equal, maybe a lot is better than a little, but experts advise exercising some discretion. If you're an Android user, what should you do? Well, first of all, don't download apps from third-party stores. As we've seen, just because an app appears in Google's Play Store is no guarantee that it's clean, but still, your odds are better if you stay there. Second, if it's a free app that displays pop-ups, think twice before you download it. And finally, of course, do look closely at the permissions you're asked to give an app. The fewer privileges, the better, especially if it's unclear why the app would need what it's asking for. Last week ended with another intelligence service linking WannaCry to the North Korean government. On Friday, the BBC reported that the United Kingdom's GCHQ said, yes, the ransomware does indeed come from the DPRK, and it's connected with the Lazarus Group. North Korea is unusual in that its intelligence services tend to self-fund through cybercrime. 
GCHQ's National Cybersecurity Center hasn't discussed the evidence that leads it to that conclusion, but most observers believe that evidence probably lies in overlaps with earlier code. Both BAE Systems and SecureWorks have told the BBC and The Guardian, respectively, that the Telltale Code is a module that goes by Bramble, which has appeared in earlier Lazarus Group capers. Some researchers expect to see another worm-borne attack in the wild. The technique may be attractive to others who've witnessed WannaCry's surprisingly quick havoc. WannaCry itself may be undergoing adaptation to fresh campaigns. It appears that WannaCry was released prematurely, leaked carelessly, perhaps by mistake, as its developers failed to contain it, left its Bitcoin wallets poorly crafted, and kept an exposed kill switch. This carelessness strikes some as evidence the North Koreans weren't behind the incident after all. Security firm Cyber Reason has an op-ed in SC Magazine that argues the DPRK is better than that, more careful. But mistakes happen, even in the most careful organizations, and recorded future cautions against concluding that this sort of carelessness is evidence that the threat actors behind WannaCry are just stumblebums. If they indeed are, as most evidence suggests, North Korean government hackers, They've simply got a risk-reward calculus that leads them to a more indiscriminate style of operation. News media in India harumph and point with concern to what they regard as their government's downplaying of the scope of WannaCry infestations in that country. Researcher Chris Vickery reports finding 198 million U.S. voter records exposed in an unsecured Amazon S3 account. The data, which have since been secured, were left exposed by Deep Root Analytics, a political big data consulting firm that has worked for the most part on behalf of the U.S. Republican Party. While many enterprises have been seeing security advantages in moving to the cloud, there are risks too, as this and the recent exposure by a contractor of sensitive National Geospatial Agency information indicate. The NGA data was also left out on an S3 service. It's perhaps worth noting that failure to secure data properly is a failure on the part of the user, not on the part of Amazon. Britain's National Cybersecurity Centre declares the UK's recent elections to have been free of Russian influence, specifically that there were no signs of fraud, no outright manipulation of results. Some observers think the Russians just weren't interested. As one expert, Thomas Ridd of King's College London put it, he's quoted in US News & World Report, if the Russian aim in the election meddling is to serve as a chaos agent, quote, it's already chaotic enough here. There's no need for Russian meddling in the UK. Basically, it's messed up enough on its own, end quote. That's one way of looking at it. It's hard to tell from our perch on the other side of the Atlantic, but it would seem unwise to grow blasé about the matter. U.S. investigations haven't withdrawn their teeth from the various inquiries into Russian influence operations, and NATO's front line in the Baltic states remains on alert. Two hackers have received jail time. One was motivated by revenge, the other apparently by the lulls. The revenge hacker is Adam Flanagan of Bala Synod, that's the Bala Synod in Pennsylvania, not the one in Wales, who was sentenced to a year and a day in the joint after pleading guilty to two counts of unauthorized access to a protected computer that recklessly caused damage. Fired from his job with a company that makes water meter readers, he hacked his former employee's network and disabled the meters. He was arrested last November. The other case is that of a British gentleman, one Daniel Devereux, who will be a guest of Her Majesty's government for 32 weeks as a reward for hacking websites belonging to the Norfolk and Norwich University Hospital 
and Norwich International Airport. That's the Norwich in East Anglia, not the one in Vermont. Mr. Devereaux was caught after posting videos of his hacking prowess online. He says his victims blew off his warnings that their sites were insecure, and he wanted to make a point about the importance of security. The effects of his hacking weren't negligible. The airport says it lost the equivalent of $47,000 in the incident. Mr. Devereaux, who goes by the nom du hack of his royal gingerness, is said to suffer from mental health issues. At the time of his sentencing, he was already in custody for another unrelated offense. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. Joining me once again is Dr. Charles Clancy. He's the director of the Hume Center for National Security and Technology at Virginia Tech. Uh, Dr. Clancy, welcome back. You know, the Dyn attack from last year was really a wake-up call for uh, a lot of organizations. And you wanted to talk today about uh, some of the actions that people are taking to try to keep something like that from happening again. Of course, the, uh, the the Dyn attack, which happened in October of 2016, uh, resulted in a three-hour outage of internet service on the east coast of the United States, and was the largest distributed denial of service attack ever uh, witnessed on the internet. And interestingly, leveraged a lot of consumer electronic devices as part of that attack. This, as you mentioned, was a wake-up call to much of the industry that is now getting serious, or at least uh, seeking to get serious, about IoT security. Um, and the, the challenge we have with IoT is that the, uh, the business model really doesn't lend itself towards uh, security. The goal is to mass manufacture uh, inexpensive electronic devices uh, for consumer markets uh, that happen to have an internet connection in them. Really, security is not a driving factor in the manufacture of these devices. So uh, if if I go online and and purchase uh, some uh, uh, consumer electronic device from uh, a manufacturer in China, for example, what motivation do they have to implement appropriate cybersecurity protections in that product? Uh, Right now, they really have none. Um, and this has led to uh, a range of, of things to include uh, the, the Dyn outage that we saw last, last October. 
So if you look at how you would try and address this, one of the proposals on the table is to create the underwriter's laboratory equivalent uh, for cybersecurity. And this has been talked about on and off over the years. Uh, can we have this notion of uh, cybersecurity UL where, um, uh, just as an example right now, if, if you go to the store and buy a toaster, uh, it's likely going to be tested by UL and make sure that when you plug it in, it doesn't catch on fire. Mm-hmm. The challenge is how do we achieve something similar in the IoT space to ensure that if you plug that new internet-connected toaster in, uh, it's going to have the appropriate cybersecurity safeguards to prevent it from getting hacked. So if you look at the approaches that are being considered, um, one is this notion that we need managed ecosystems. Uh, standalone IoT devices that are not managed uh, and have no way of receiving firmware upgrades or software updates uh, or the ability to have a uh, strong enrollment process, i.e. they just have default passwords on them. Um, these are all major challenges for the long-term security of the Internet. So there's this drive, I think, towards trying to ensure that every IoT device um, is connected up to some cloud service that is responsible for provisioning it and managing it, ensuring its long-term security. But there's a lot of of unanswered questions about how that would work in practice. So, for example, uh, what if the vendor of that IoT device goes out of business and they shut down their cloud service? Uh, Does that mean that the IoT device stops functioning? Um, Who's responsible for continued software updates? Uh, And if the company goes out of business, the the source code from which you could even uh, build the patches uh, is now uh, no longer available. So currently, some of the research that we're doing is looking at how you could begin to establish some sort of functional testing program uh, that would provide this uh, certification and accreditation of of these devices, that they at least meet some basic uh, uh, cybersecurity fundamental principles like not having default passwords and preferably having uh, mechanisms to do software update, although, as I mentioned, that's uh, a non-trivial thing to accomplish in practice. All right, Dr. Charles Clancy, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now.
And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Cyberwire. 